Well, turn to your neighbor and say happy Resurrection Sunday, neighbor. This morning we're going to start with the Word of God, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45. If you do not, it'll be up on the screen. I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation this morning. It says, at noon, darkness fell and across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And about that three and about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Ela, Ela, Lima Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought that he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he can drink. But the rest said, Wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, tombs opened, the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, and they went to the holy city of Jerusalem, and they appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the Son of God. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of John, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And so this morning, before we get to the resurrection story, we see... You know, as Jesus and his paints this picture in Matthew chapter 27, it says that he feels abandoned. And if you look at that word abandoned in the Greek, it means forsaken, which some translations put as forsaken. But it also means to be left behind in a certain place, to be deserted, forsake, and to leave. I don't know if about you, but I can remember a couple times in my early childhood, I think I was four or five going to the grocery store. And I got lost in the grocery store. This is in Ohio. And I can vividly remember. I don't remember getting lost, but I do remember realizing that my mom and sisters were gone. And at four, what do four-year-old boys do? Start crying, right? So I can remember that feeling of, oh, my gosh, what happened? I can remember one time. My parents, and I don't know where they went, and this is again in Ohio, but I think I was five this time, and I was watching Scooby-Doo, and everybody left, and we had a big dog, so he was there with me, and it didn't really dawn on me at first that, like, everybody was gone, because I'm watching Scooby-Doo, and how many know Scooby-Doo is pretty awesome, and so I'm having a great time. I'm having the best time of my life, and then after a while, I still realize I'm all alone. Nobody else is here with me, and it freaked me out. I can remember a few years, fast forward, we moved to California, and we went to a, like a zoo, I don't know, it was in San Diego, it was somewhere, it was like a zoo or wild animal park, and it was super, super, super crowded. And next thing you know, you know, my parents, they were walking 10 miles a minute, I guess, and I decided I wanted to look around. And so I got lost again. And, but this time, I'm in an area where there's thousands and thousands of people. And no matter how many people were there, I still felt lost. I still felt abandoned. I still felt forsaken because even though I have a nice dad and mom, they left me. Just kidding. I left them. But I know that feeling of being abandoned and feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm lost. Jesus, as he's 
dying on the cross, he says for a minute, in the last few minutes of his life, he's saying, I feel abandoned. I feel forsaken. I feel like my God has left me there. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. And so as Jesus is sitting there and he's feeling forsaken and he's feeling abandoned, he's sitting there and all the sins of the world, feel, feel the weight of all the sins of the world being laid upon one man. How many of us, you know, can remember, you know, getting married and having kids and, and bills, the older you get, the bills get bigger, right? And the stack gets taller. And how many of us have ever felt the weight of paying those bills? It's horrible, right? It's one of the worst things in the whole entire world. Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, in one second, he feels the weight of the sins of the entire world. Everyone who had gone before him. Everyone who had gone after him, and he's on the cross, and everything was laid upon this man that we call Jesus. And Jesus dies. And you think about death for a second. If any of us have ever lost a loved one, you know, for our family, we haven't really lost a loved one, but we did lose a dog a few weeks ago. And <clears throat> if you know that for some people, dogs are just as important as a loved one, right? They become part of your life. But for the disciples, for his mom, for his half-brothers, for everybody there in that moment, as Jesus died, I have to take a step back and say, what were they thinking? As they're, as they're stepping back and they're looking at this God, who, this man who they've seen do everything. And I have to think, because our brains run, you know, not, they don't run a mile a minute. Our brains run like 30 billion miles a minute, right? I wonder if they're, they're sitting there thinking, he's going to jump off there at any second. I wonder if the disciples are thinking, you know, he, he's, he's there and, and, you know, they pierced his side and there was blood and there was water. And I think the disciples are thinking, I've seen this guy do amazing things. All of a sudden, he's just going to poof and he's going to like jump off. But it didn't happen. And Jesus on the cross, dying. How many of us, as we know, if we've dealt with loss, we know that, you know, for, for when you deal with loss, you deal with shock, you deal with denial. You feel deep sadness. You feel emptiness. There's a despair, a numbness, a guilt, regret, and anger. All of these motions, can you imagine feeling this just in one moment? Shock, denial, sadness, emptiness, despair. Numbness, guilt, regret, and anger. And I have to think for these men who are sitting there, as they're looking at Jesus, they're feeling all of it at the same time. They're feeling regret because they knew maybe, maybe we should have done something to help. They're feeling guilty. They're like, oh my goodness, this is, you know, the most amazing guy. This is Jesus Christ. And there's also a numbness because you don't want to believe it. You're in shock. You don't want to believe that it has happened. And then the sadness and the despair just completely takes over as Jesus, their best friend, their teacher, the prophet, the healer, the greatest man who had ever lived had just died. And I think for a minute there was silence. I think for a minute everything became silent as they just watched. As they're watching, 
as they're looking at Jesus, what they didn't know what was happening in the temple. And inside the temple, it says that the veil was torn. And if you know the veil, the veil was this, this curtain that was in the temple of God. And it was this, this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. This is where God's presence dwelt. This is a place that was specially reserved at this time, only for a special priest to go in at a special time. And so as God died on the cross, the cross was on this side last year, so now i got to remember it's on the left side. As Jesus died on the cross, this veil was torn in two, this veil that separated God from man, this veil, this, this big, heavy curtain that separated God from man in one second. Think about this. We know that there was an earthquake, but it says just mysteriously, kind of like magically, this curtain was ripped from the top down to the bottom. Kind of like this. And as God tore that veil, he said, I no longer need to speak through a priest to speak to my people. As you believe in me, you don't have to go to the temple to hear me. You don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to go to the temple to hear my voice. As God tore that veil, he said, I make myself available to every single person, every single heart, my presence, my voice, for those who believe, for those who give their life for me, there will be no separation for those who want to hear. You know, for us, how many of us, even though as young kids, many of us have gone to church and we, we said this in our prayer, many of us, it's almost like we, we took that veil sewed it back up, and we put it right back there because I want to hear from God, but yet I want to do some things that God doesn't really approve of, so I'm going to put that veil back up. That veil that was, you know, in the way of God and man. And I wonder this morning how many of us have taken the veil, and even though it was ripped from top to bottom, how many of us have taken that veil to put it in front of God and said, God, I don't want you to speak to me in this area of my life. And I wonder this morning if there's anything that is between you and God that stops you from listening and hearing. God doesn't expect perfection. He did for his son Jesus Christ, right? He wants us to be perfect. But there's only one way for us to be perfect. That's through his son Jesus. But what he does expect is the effort and the attitude that we put in every single day. How many of us know that when you have a job... And, you know, working is a beautiful thing, right? If God gives us two hands, we can work... And if you have a boss, and most of us do, do you think your boss would prefer you to be lazy or have a good attitude? Do you think your boss would prefer you to have, you know, a mentality of, ah, I just can do whatever I want here. I'll let the other workers, I'll let my coworkers, I worked hard three weeks ago, so now I get a coast for three weeks, and then again down the road I work hard again? Or do you think your boss wants you to work hard every day? When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to our faith, why are we waiting for someone else to tell us what to do, what God expects of us? When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the cross, this is Easter Sunday, right? This is the greatest service of the year because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the greatest story. We celebrate the greatest man, God, man, coming in flesh. This is it. But why should we as people wait for our boss, God? He is the boss, right? He is the one in charge. Why should we have to wait for him to say, this is what you should do today? 
We get it with our earthly bosses. If you want to raise, what do you do? You show some effort, right? If you want to raise at work, what do you do? You kiss your boss's butt, right? How many of us have talked about brown lipstick at work, right? You know, the boss that I have now is funny. Years ago, before he was a boss, when he started, me and, and our group of friends made fun of him because he was the butt kisser in the group. And so every single meeting, Every single meeting, we made fun of this guy over and over again. And even one time, it was really sad, our boss at the time, Dan, he had to stop the meeting, and he walked out of the meeting because we were making fun of this one guy so bad, who is my district manager now. We've made fun of butt kissers. We made fun of wearing brown lipstick to try and get ahead. But you know what? How many people in this earthly world have learned it works? But yet, how much do we take the effort? Do you need a man to tell you what God expects of you? You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You don't need any single person. Just two opening ears to listen and say, this is what my heavenly father expects of me. If I want an advancement in the kingdom, what do I do? I work harder. If I want to level my faith and see it grow, what do I need to do? Go out and work harder. You know, for Peter, he learned this lesson. When he was out fishing one night, he fished all night long, and he didn't catch a thing. For Peter, imagine, and I like to fish. Me and my wife, we both love to fish, and we never do it. But I can't imagine fishing all night, because that's what they did, not catching a thing. And then this guy comes on your boat and says, let's go out and go fishing. When you fished all night and you're a little depressed and you're a little tired and you haven't had the cappuccino or the latte yet, you're not looking for some man to tell you, let's go out and fish again, right? But as Jesus gets on this man's boat and Peter didn't fully understand who this guy was, Jesus says, let's go out, push your boat into the deep and let's go fishing. Peter protested, but he did it. Peter protested. But he went, and he said, okay. And then Jesus said, throw your nets, what, on the other side. And as soon as he threw those nets on, it said that the nets were so full that they began to rip. He had to call his friends. This is one of the worst things in the whole wide world, right? When you are so blessed that you got to call your friends and say, I can't handle all this money. Can you come over here and take some of this money for me? That's not really horrible, I'm just kidding, right? But this is what is happening. And Peter, he's looking at all this fish and he's thinking, oh my gosh. And in this miracle, he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Because he protested, because he didn't want to believe, because he didn't want to go fishing, because he didn't want to do what this man was asking him to do. But in his faithfulness, in the desire to go and do something, in the desire to go, I'm going to go work. I'm going to go put my hands to work, even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to go to work. I'm going to work for the gospel. I'm going to work for the kingdom. I'm going to do what my God has asked me to do. Because he was faithful when he didn't feel like it, what happened? He was richly blessed and so blessed that his friends were blessed because of it. And so this morning, again, many of us get what it means to work for a boss, but do we fully understand what it means to work for Jesus Christ? We are employees of the kingdom. We all have special badges. You can't see them, but they're here on our side, right, with those little clip things. You go, zh, zh, zh. we have those badges for the kingdom of God. You are special. You are anointed. You are gifted. You are a talented for one reason, to work for the king. As Jesus passed away, it's, 
the, um, the security guard was there, like Mr. Sims, the security guard. And as he sees Jesus die, and as he feels the ground shaking, these security guys, they beat Jesus. These security guys, they tortured Jesus. They whipped him 39 times. Most people died from those. This, this massive whip that had a metal tip on it that would go into your back and it would rip out anything that was grabbed and skin and flesh and all this stuff. They whipped him 39 times. They did this. They helped him and pushed him to, the, to Golgotha, the place where he was crucified. They crucified him and nailed him to the cross. They made fun of him. They gambled for his clothes. They made fun of him. Ah, the king of the Jews. He saved other people, right? And the religious leaders were taunting as well. But as he died, and as they're looking, and they see this, this guy goes, wow, what have I done? What have I done? This truly was the son of God. You know, and for us, many, you know, we do moments and things that we're not proud of. We say things that we shouldn't have said, right? We've done things that we shouldn't have done. And the moment you're in the presence of God, that's immediately the first thing that comes to our mind. Wow, God, forgive me. Wow, God, I'm sorry. We go on in the story, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. And it says, early Sunday morning, today, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the, and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and he sat on it. His face was shining like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell faint into a dead faint. Verse 5, then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said he would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you will see him there. And remember what I have told you. Verse 8. The woman ran quickly from the tomb, and they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. How many of us have friends who always know how to make a good entrance? How many of us know somebody that as soon as they walk into a building, it's, you know, my wife is one of those people because she's so beautiful and gorgeous that when she walks into a place, you know, there's usually like a beam of light behind her head and, and everybody just stops, right? But how many of us know people when there is a grand entrance and the angel in this story, there is a massive earthquake again, the ground is shaking and the angel appears. And I love what the angel does. He rolls away the stone, something that no man could do by himself. The angel rolls away the stone. And what does the angel do? And then he sits on it. And he's just sitting there. And all the security guards, they're, they're shaken. They fell faint with fear. And they're terrified of the moment. And as the angel is just sitting there, he's just sitting waiting. And you have to rewind in your brain. Because the angels, think about them watching, you know, in the sky as they're watching the whole story unfold. And they saw Jesus. They saw him and all the brutal, brutal and horrible things that happened to this guy. They watched all the things that happened. 
But to be at this point, to be in this part of the story where he gets to come down, the ground is shaking, his angel is making the appearance, he gets to make the announcement to Mary, he gets to have this moment where he's saying, he is no longer dead, he is risen. And it's in a massive moment. And he says to Mary, he says, I know you're looking for Jesus, but he's not here. You know, today in our world, you know, as the girls get to the tomb and they were bringing spices and they wanted to do something special for Jesus' body, it says that they came and they, they went to the tomb because that's where he was, right? Turned in everyone and said, yeah, that's where he was. That's where he was. But they didn't realize, because they fully didn't hear the past three years, that Jesus said, I was going to die. But that would come back to life. And we have many people in our world today who are looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. Every single one of us, God designed us with a void. God designed us with a certain void that we have in each of us. And so many of us, and all of us at some time, in certain points of the day, we look for Jesus in all the wrong places. And the angel says to him, he is risen, he is risen, he is no longer dead. He is alive. He is alive. Turn to your neighbor and say, he is alive. Let the celebrating begin. Let the celebrating begin. And don't we love that who's the first one who get to discover? It's the ladies who get to discover that Jesus has risen from the dead. The ladies discover this. And he says, go and tell your brothers, Jesus is risen. Beautiful story. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what happened next? We know that Jesus rose. We know that he appeared to the disciples. We know that he appeared to Doubting Thomas who was saying, I ain't going to believe unless I stick my fingers in the holes where they, where they push the nails. And that's kind of grotesque, right? To think that some person who spent three and a half years with Jesus would just verbally say that. Like some of us would be thinking that, but this guy said it, right? That they call him Doubting Thomas because he was saying, I won't believe unless I see. You know what I love about God? He isn't intimidated by your fear. Now we get intimidated by our own fear. We get intimidated, we get weighed down by worry, doubt, and fear. God is not intimidated by anything you're afraid of. God is not intimidated by your bills. God's not intimidated by your health. God is not intimidated with whatever it is that bothers you. It is only us, the, the things that we place on ourselves. God is not intimidated by those things. And so as Thomas says, I want to put my finger where they pierce his hands. Jesus appears and he says to Thomas, go ahead, stick your finger right here in my hand. Go ahead. How amazing the God, Jesus wasn't there when Thomas said it, but he heard it and he appeared so that Thomas's faith could go from here to here. God wants to appear to you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to increase the amount of faith that we have every single day. And so for Jesus, he spends 40 days over and over again appearing to the disciples. They're eating fish. They're broiling fish. They're hanging out, and he's teaching, and he's encouraging, and he's inspiring them. And maybe he's even hugging it out with Peter because we know that Peter, you know, denied him, and he's probably still felt bad about it, Right? But what happened to the 12 disciples after this? After the 40 days after Jesus left, 
We know that for the disciples, there was massive persecution. We know for Andrew, Peter's brother, who is also a fisherman, he died on a cross. James, he was the elder of Zebedee, the brother of John, he was beheaded at Jerusalem. James, one of Jesus' brothers, we call half-brother, right, was thrown from a pinnacle of the temple, and then he was beaten to death with a club. John, the beloved disciple, yes, the elder son of Zebedee, brother of James, John, who was called Sons of Thunder, he was the only one who died of extreme old age. He was boiled in like an oil, but he lived through that. Judas, not the one who betrayed, but we know what happened to Judas who did betray Jesus. He killed himself. And you know what's crazy for, for people who are greedy? Judas, who was willing for a minute to take 30 silver coins to betray a man. And it's not just a, any ordinary man. This was a man, they saw him do like amazing things that nobody else can do. But because he was greedy, we knew he was greedy because they mentioned that he would steal money from the disciples' purse. I guess they had purses back then. But they would take money, Judas would take money from the pot, the disciples' money that they had. And so Judas, we know that he was greedy. We knew that he had a problem with greed and money. And so he was willing to portray Jesus for 30 silver coins. But as Jesus was dying and he's getting ready to crucify, what did, what did Judas want to do? He didn't want to return the money. I can't take this. I have betrayed an innocent man. The weight of betraying somebody innocent. The weight of, I did this for 30 silver coins. The weight that was in his heart, mind, and soul, the guilt. He was so overcome by everything and the emotions were running so wild for this guy. Then what did he do? It says that he went out and killed himself. He couldn't handle the weight of what he's feeling. Just like many people in our world today, there's so many people who can't handle the weight of what they're feeling, and they don't know what to do, and they don't know where to look, and they don't know where to turn. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he killed himself. Thaddeus, one of Jesus' half-brothers, was shot to death with arrows. Matthew, also called Levi, was a tax collector. He was crucified. Nat Nathaniel, who's also called Bartholomew, was flayed alive and beheaded. Peter, we all love Peter, crucified head downward because he didn't want to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. Philip, he was hanged on a pillar. Thomas, the doubter, we call him was run through the body with spears in the East Indies. We know Apostle Paul, who really wasn't original part of the 12, but we know for him as well, he was beheaded. Why would these men be so willing to die for just some guy? Why would these men, these, these 11, 12, 13 guys, what was it? about them what was it about this story what was it about jesus christ that for three and a half years they didn't really get it for three and a half years with the man they didn't fully get it 
But what was it for these guys that at some point after the resurrection, after Jesus rose, after another 40 days spending time with Jesus, as persecution came, they did not stop preaching. You can throw stones at me. You can put a spear in my side. Yes, you can crucify me. Whatever you want to do to me, it does not matter because I will continue to preach every single day of my life. Jesus who lived, Jesus who came from heaven to here, Jesus who lived among us, Jesus who died, who you crucified, but Jesus who rose again, became the sacrifice for my sins. This is who I preach. This is who I talk about. Why would these men be willing to be beheaded? Why would Peter, as crazy as Peter was, why would he be willing to be crucified upside down? The evidence of what they saw, the evidence of what they heard, it now was flowing through every part of their life. They got to see with their own eyes. They got to witness every single thing about Jesus Christ. They saw it. They lived it. Would these 12, 13 men, would they die for something that was false? Would these men die for just, just some feel-good story? There are people who would die maybe once in a, in a lifetime, right? Make a sacrifice to die for somebody. But would 12, 13 guys fully die? Would they be willing to be beheaded, crucified, speared, thrown off the temple? Would they, all of these men, die for something that was not true? Absolutely not. These men gave their life because they knew it was true. And the question this morning, how true is it for you? The question is, how true is it for you? You know, my story and my testimony, you know, um, as you've heard many times, I grew up in church. <clears throat> my dad and mom went to church, went to a church in town here. After we moved from Ohio to California, ended up in beautiful Hemet, of course. And as a young kid, I can't tell you how many times, because my dad, of all things, wanted to be the sound guy where we went to church. So he was at church, Wednesday night for church, Thursday night for practice, Sunday morning, and Sunday night service. And you know how many services I had to go to? All of them. You know how many times I said to my dad, I don't want to go. How many times you grab a hairdryer and you go on your head and make it hot so that I got a fever, I can't go today. You want to know how many excuses you make as a kid because you do not want to do. You don't want to go to church. You know, as a kid, how many of us fought going to church? How many of us as kids fought going? But I can tell you, you know what was crazy? The times that I fought the hardest with my dad, and I never won, by the way. I never won. No matter how many excuses I made. No matter if I said I was being beat up outside over donuts, or if I was being made fun of, or I felt sick, or I didn't like the youth pastor, no matter how many excuses I had, no matter how many things I tried to get out of, my dad said, eh, you're going. And if you want to punch him in the arm, he's right there, so you can go punch my dad. He forced me to church this wonderful, horrible person called my dad, right? But I can tell you the times that I fought the hardest... I went anyway, and I left saying, you know what? Yeah, it wasn't so bad. People are fighting to church today. You know, the last three years through the pandemic, there are so many different things that have changed. And, and through getting COVID and through getting vaccinated, people are fighting to be in a place like this, in a, in a building, in a church setting, and there's worship, and there's music, and there's the word of God being preached. 
We know that in the last days, it says that people are not going to want to listen to just the word of God. They want to listen to things that make their ears feel good. In the last days, the apostles are talking about, people aren't want to go to a church where the word of God is being purely taught, unadulterated, because they'd rather be taught something else that just sounds good. Church, in 2022, at the end, as we get to the end, we have an amazing opportunity to do what God's supposed to do. You know, and so as I fought my dad, the funny thing is, which I love about that story, is I fought my dad for years going to church, but it's the very place that, and, and I don't know if my dad knew, you know, when I was 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, fighting him, yeah, that was every single year, right, of adolescence, every single year fighting him, do I have to go again? Especially just think about on the nights when he did sound for worship practice, why do I got to go again? All you're going to do is, you know, do worship practice, dad, why do I got to go again? And I don't know if my dad fully understood he was bringing me to the place the place of my calling, the place where God has called me to live and to breathe and to serve him. I don't know if my dad fully got that. And so I want to encourage you this morning, parents, there are times kids are going to fight you every single day, hand and foot, to come to church. And whether it's big or small, whether it's somebody in the back, whether anything is going on, it really doesn't matter. Church is a place that if you show up, God will speak some way, somehow to you, to our kids. Church is an important part of Sunday. As we honor Jesus, as we honor the resurrection, as we honor every single thing. And so this morning as we wrap up, a couple of closing thoughts. I love the story of the disciples. And think about Jesus didn't pick preachers, even though he could have picked the, the top of the top back then. He could have picked the MVP of the, the religious leaders. Who did Jesus pick for followers? He picked fishermen and, of all things, a tax collector. A couple half-brothers. But think about this. He didn't pick men who looked perfect in other people's eyes because religious leaders, they dressed the part. They look so good. Their hair was parted perfectly every single day because they probably had a private hairdresser, right? These men looked the best of the best every single day, but he didn't pick any of those. These men knew the Bible better, the law, than anybody else, but yet he didn't pick any of those. Who did Jesus pick? Ordinary men who he knew that when they listened, when they got a hold of it, when they grasped it, when they understood it, when they were then filled with the Holy Spirit, he knew that these men would work harder than anybody else to preach this message to the entire world and even give their life. No matter what you feel about yourself, tell yourself you're amazing because God made you. No matter your age and no matter how your body feels, if it's cranky, if it's, you know, sore and it hurts here and it hurts there, no matter where we are in our heart, mind, and body and soul this morning, understand God made you. God has put you here for a reason and a purpose. And we have the greatest opportunity in 2022 to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't pick preachers. You know what he did? He picked us. He picked us. Nothing in life, nothing, Paul said nothing in life, nothing comes close to knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing is good. I'm going to read one more verse, we're going to close here in a second. Philippians 3.13 says, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I do focus on this one thing. 
Philippians 3.5, I'm going to back up. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly, harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. But in verse 7, Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable and important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ was done, what Christ has done for me. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter who you are, no matter what you've accomplished, there is absolutely nothing at all that comes close to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. In my young life, I was able to do a lot of things. I used to skateboard and, and surf and snow ski. And uh, 18, I went and jumped out of an airplane, went skydiving. And skydiving, if you've never gone skydiving, it's an amazing feeling. It is a beautiful feeling to jump out of an airplane, you know, and just float in the air. Even though the first three times you have somebody on your back, you know, you're not really paying attention because you have everything below you and you're saying, oh, hallelujah. But it was so amazing, the feeling. And I was 18. That was what my mom got me for my 18th birthday present. Thank you, mom. But when I met Jesus at 19, I can tell you what I felt in two brief moments with him, it surpassed any crazy feeling that I'd ever had in my life. Up to that point in 19, I did a lot of good things, and there were some times I did a lot of bad things. I ingested, I took, I did this, I did that, right? Like I said, jumped out of an airplane, snow skied, got lots of air snow skiing, a lot of crazy, emotional, high, intense feelings. But when I truly surrendered, even though my dad took me to church all my life, I didn't fully give my life to God. I can tell you between 7 and, and 15, I probably said the sinner's prayer 45 times. But at 19, when I'm in a car with my best friend, and we're talking about God out of the blue, and all of a sudden, God's presence hit me. What I felt in that car, in that moment, his presence... It was stronger than anything I've ever felt in my life. And it's because Jesus rose. And it's because the veil was torn. And it's because I was seeking truth that I felt something that I've never really felt before. There is nothing like the presence of God. But God's a gentleman. Ladies, don't we like gentlemen? God is a gentleman. He doesn't throw himself on you. He's waiting for you. Let's pray. You know, Isaiah 118 says this, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Psalms 103 verse 12 says, He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender, compassionate to those who fear him. And so with our eyes closed and heads bowed this morning, you've heard a little bit of my story this morning. You've heard a little bit about the disciples' story this morning. You've heard some stories about Jesus and the death and the burial and the resurrection this morning. But you know whose story is also important this morning? It's your story. It's your story this morning. As Jesus rose, and he did it so that you could rise. As Jesus came back to life, he did it so that you could come back to life. 
as Jesus sacrificed his body so that you would not have to sacrifice yours and became a sacrifice for our sins this morning. You know what story is really, really important right now? It's your story. And with our eyes closed, heads bowed this morning, all of us in this room, we're on all different places. All different kinds of levels of faith. There's com confusion. There's some doubt. There's some fear. There is, there's all kinds of emotions in different places that all of us are in this morning. Loneliness. There's so many different things that each one of us is feeling this morning. There's so many different places. There's thoughts from past week and past mistakes that we made. There's guilt and shame for things that we said and we shouldn't have said. There's things that we did, maybe even last night, that we shouldn't have done last night. There's so many different things that are running through our heart, mind, and soul in this moment. But in this moment, one thing that God's saying right now, your story to me right now is really, really important. I created you. I put you together. And I brought you to this point in your life. And so the question this morning with your eyes closed and heads about is we're thinking about our own story. Are we giving every single thing that we have to Jesus? Do we want to taste the presence of the Lord like we have never tasted it before? Do we want to see God do amazing works and wonder more than he ever has before? Yes, God is still moving. Yes, his Holy Spirit is still moving and empowering and healing and doing great things and saving people and delivering people. All the things that God wants to do using us as hands and feet. With our eyes closed and heads bowed. You're here this morning for a reason. You're here this morning because God got you up and he brought you here, here to this place this morning. God is reckless in his pursuit of each one of us. God would leave 99 other sheep just to come after us, no matter where we wandered, no matter where we are. See, no matter how many times I went to church, no matter how many times I said the sinner prayer, I, I never got saved until I was 19. But you know what happened at 19? I realized God wasn't asking for just my words. God was asking, he was asking for my life. And this morning, have you fully given your life? Jesus, I work for you and nobody else. Jesus, I give my life to serve you and follow you, nobody else. Even though I may have a job and have a secular physical boss, you are my head boss. You are my king and I will work and serve nobody else. Jesus, have this morning, have you fully surrendered? And secondly, this morning as we close and pray, church, the veil was torn in two. And I wonder this morning how many of us have put that veil back together, maybe out of fear of what God has to say to us, maybe out of shame of what we've done. Have you put that veil back up while God is yet trying to speak to you? As we sing this last song this morning, I believe that God is stirring in your heart and he's stirring in your mind. As we sing this last song, let everything that is in you in this moment, take it to God in a conversation. Take it to God in prayer. If it's surrendering, surrender. If it's God, deliver me from this, deliver me from this. But in this last song this morning, don't leave without making a movement and a step towards the right place and where God wants you to head.